Welcome to the podcast of Eden Worship Center. We believe that God has perfectly revealed Himself through Scripture alone, and that salvation comes by grace alone, from faith alone in Christ alone, and that everything is for the glory of God alone. So as we study God's unchanging, inerrant Word together, ask God to open your eyes, to open your eyes to see yourself and your own sin clearly. Open your eyes to see Jesus clearly, and pray that God would give you the grace to repent, to turn from your sin, and the faith to trust in Christ alone for your salvation. If you'd like more information, go to our website at edenworshipcenter.co. Normally at this time we have you stand and we read God's word together. We're going to do it a little bit different this morning. So kids, uh, this is for you as we do a little cartoon version of Genesis chapter 29. Let's go ahead and play it. Jacob went on his journey to find a wife from the people of his mother's family. When he arrived in the land of Haran, he found some shepherds. They not only told him that he was in the right place, and they knew his uncle Laban, but they said, look, that's his daughter Rachel coming right now. Jacob helped water the sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman that he was Rebekah's son. She ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob stayed with them for a month, working with them. Then Laban said to Jacob, You're my relative, but you shouldn't have to work for free. Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. In the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is it you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, Here the older daughter gets married first. Spend the week with her. We will give you Rachel also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. With each of her first three sons, Leah thought, Now my husband will love me. But when her fourth son was born, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, which means praise. This is an interesting passage that we come to this morning. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 29. 
We're going to be attempting in this time, and I say attempting because I'm not sure how this is going to go, to cover most of 29 and chapter 30. So just part of the history of where we are and how we got here, we've been following the story of God building a people for himself and a family for himself. So beginning with Abraham and Sarah, and then their son Isaac and his wife Rebecca, who, by the way, is Laban's sister. And now to Jacob and Leah and Rachel. This is a strange soap opera type family and story that we come to here. And yet from them are going to come 12 sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. As God changes Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. This passage that we're going to be looking at today is going to set the stage for all of that. He's going to spend almost 20 years in Padan Aram. After seeing the vision. We just heard about this in the last couple, couple weeks where he has heard, seen the vision of angels ascending and descending upon the stairway uh, from God to the earth. And now he leaves that place and arrives in Haran, the ancestral home of his grandfather Abraham. We're going to see in this passage God's guidance God keeping his promise, chapter 28, verse 15, where he said, I will be with you. We're going to see Jacob get a dose of his own medicine. If you remember, Jacob tricking his brother Esau, he's going to get tricked himself. And interestingly, we're going to see the first romantic love that Scripture speaks of. And by the way, it doesn't work out all that great. So all of you teenagers with great high hopes for your romantic love, uh, set your hope in God. Okay. We're going to see what happens when you don't set your hope in God. What happens between these two sisters as they set their hope in the love, attention, affection of their husband, in the production of sons, and the competition that just fuels and destroys that relationship that's between them. And just a heads up, we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. So to accomplish this, we're going to read big chunks of scripture and then sort of comment in between. And I It's not the way we normally do things, but I actually think it's all right. If you remember Paul's encouragement to Timothy as he's in Ephesus, and he says in 1 Timothy 4.13, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, and to teaching. He doesn't say, until I come, devote yourself to wildly entertaining sermons. Devote yourself to a room full of really hyped up people where the mood lighting is just perfect and right before the service someone turned on the fog machine. Right? That's not what it says. It says devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to the preaching and the teaching. So that's what we're going to do this morning as we read almost two chapters together. Would you stand together with me as we read the first three verses Genesis chapter 29. I promise I won't make you do it every single time we read or you'd be up and down and up. Nobody would fall asleep, but we won't do that. Hear now the word of the Lord. Genesis 29 verse 1. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and he saw well in the field and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone of the well's mouth was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. 
Lord, we pray that as we gather together around your word today, that it would be living and active, that it would illuminate our hearts, it would convict us of sin, that it would lead us in righteousness to look to Christ. We pray we would be more faithful because we have read and heard and studied your word. We ask that through Christ. Amen. You may be seated. So Jacob has left the land of Canaan, the promised land. He was sent away by his parents, by Isaac and Rebekah, with the idea of he's going to find a wife. And on the, on the journey to get there, he goes to sleep and has this miraculous vision, this miraculous encounter with God, and he wakes up and says, this is Bethel. A lot of times in the English we pronounce it Bethel, but it's actually two words, house of God, Beth and El, God. So what does he do? He, he has a one-man revival. What does he do in that moment? The very first thing we read in verse 1 here is he went on his journey. Uh, literally, in the Hebrew, it says he lifted up his feet. That's the only time that phrase is used in all of Scripture. We find it used in different ways through Scripture. We're encountering difficulty, and they lifted up their eyes. We're going to see him do it in just a little bit. He lifts up his voice. It's the only time in Scripture that we're told that someone lifts up their feet. But consider with me, he's just seen a vision of Almighty God. God has just spoken to him, I will be with you, in such a way that he's convinced this place is the very house of God. So what does he do? He leaves it. Friends, this is counterintuitive because of what we have been taught about what church and revival should look like. Modern revival thinking, modern church growth strategies is designed to get people to come, to be attracted, and then get them to stay. Only here and other places in Scripture, when they truly encounter the living God, it propels them to go. To go, to step out into all that God has prepared for them. Dr. Steve Lawson describes it like this. It's as if he is launched out, motivated, and on mission. Oh, friends, would that be the description of us as we pray for revival? That number one, it would be gospel-centered. It would be, as Paul commanded, centered around the proclamation of the gospel and the understanding of the scriptures. And number two, it would shoot us out, compel us forward on mission and motivated. He came with one idea in his mind, and yet God was at work even behind that. That, that idea of providence, God being at work behind the scenes, what we can see, Proverbs 16 Verse 9, this is one of the two fill-in-the-blanks for you this morning. It says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. That we make plans. In fact, we're commanded to be diligent in what we do. To be wise, to be thoughtful in what we do. But at the end of the day, we're not trusting in our own thoughtfulness or wisdom, but in the God who ordains our steps for us. Jacob has traveled around 450 miles with no GPS. Now, those of you who are old enough to remember life before GPS, if you figured out on a map how to get someplace, you could then get home because you knew uh, how to navigate. Now it is with the GPS, we're just blindly following 
instructions. No GPS. You can just leave that screen up for a little bit. We'll get to that one in just a second. Uh, keep that in mind, this, this huge span. By the way, it's about the same. It, you can go ahead and go back to it. It's about the same span as from St. Louis to Topeka, Indiana. Keep that in your head. Jacob arrives at the well in Topeka, Indiana. And says, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban? Have you ever, you ever run into somebody and they're like, oh, where are you from? You say, Indiana. And they go, do you know Tim Smith? <laughs> well, that's a ridiculous question. Of course I don't. He, he's come to Haran and he says, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said to them, is it well with him? The, the word there is actually shalom. Is it shalom with him? And they said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. Uh, interesting that they know her by name. Just a, just a thought. He said, behold, it is high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and pasture them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered Together in the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. Jacob, in asking, who are you and where you're from, isn't actually asking where you're from. He's asking, where am I at? I, I've just traveled this ridiculously long way. So let, let's pull up that, that map again of St. Louis to Topeka. I didn't put Shipshawana because Shipshawana is sort of a spectacle. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could, you could bump into Shipshawana and go, oh, I'm in Shipshawana. Uh, stumbling into Topeka after walking, in fact, it's, it's not even quite that far. It's 413 miles from St. Louis to Topeka. So uh, Jacob had gone another about 30-some miles past that. And now he stops at a well. I mean, I mean back in the day, they, they sort of had landmarks that they would use to travel, like follow this mountain and then kind of go around it on the left. He has no way of knowing exactly where he is at. He's never been there before. He's never seen it. And he says, where am I? And they say, you're in Haran. And he says, bullseye. That was exactly what I was aiming for when I left St. Louis. And then he says, this is crazy. Do you know Laban? <laughs> is it well with him? Is it shalom with him? And they say, yes, it is shalom with him. And in fact, that's his daughter. She's cute enough. Everybody else in town knows her name as well. That's Rachel who's coming for us right now. This is the first glimpse of romantic love that we have in the Bible. There's been love. There's been marriage. There's been commitment and faithfulness. But it's almost as if they say, and look, Rachel, his daughter, is coming, and somebody cues the music, and she starts walking in slow motion. Bow, 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 bow. You know, it's just, it's like all of a sudden, oh yeah, some big deep voice. He's going to go to her, he's going to embrace her, and he's going to kiss her. Now, now let's pull it back, all right, 21st century Americans. Uh, the only way that a man is allowed to do that to a woman is if she's in his family. This was not a romantic kiss that he gives her. I hope not, because in just a couple verses, he's going to do the same thing with her dad, Laban, right? <laughs> bow, 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 bow. <laughs> like, 
no, <laughs> this is in that time, like she would, she would have had to be veiled in front of people she didn't know. She's a shepherdess. By the way, the only time we find that word used in the Old Testament, uh, she's a shepherdess. She is working to care for these sheep. Uh, the only way he can come and embrace her is as a close family member to her. Remembered, He's traveled 450 miles, and he runs into these shepherds, and he says, who are you? Where are you from? He's overjoyed to meet them. Now, think romantic love here. Ten seconds later, he sees Rachel walking in slow motion with, like, the wind blowing in her hair, and he's like, guys, I don't think you should be here. This isn't the time to be watering your sheep. Hurry up, water them. Get out of here. Take them off to the pasture. There is, number one, there's arrogance in what he's saying. He's suddenly telling the shepherds he's never met how to do their job. But I think there's also a really strong romantic motivation. I, I, was, I was reading this, and I'm like, are you kidding me? And I, I checked with a couple other pretty trusted sources, and they said it's not stretching it to say uh, he wanted some time alone with her. He wanted to get these other shepherds out of the way. How about you guys take off for a while? Rachel, is it? <laughs> Look at verse 9. While he was still speaking to them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, this is, this is purely visual. This is love at first sight. He saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Again, this isn't a romantic kiss, but I want you to think about the providence of God in this. Meditate on God's hand of direction and guidance throughout all of this. He has not only led him to the right place, he has brought the right girl to him. Just a, a word to our singles who are here, to the unmarried in our midst. This is not an exact pattern for how you should find a future husband or wife. God's plan is perfect, but you are not. So maybe a good idea is quit trying to find the right one and start trying to be the right one. Number two, don't settle for something outside of God's family. Uh, Jacob's brother Esau is going to do that. He's going to take to himself Hittite wives. In fact, he's going to do it exactly to spite his parents. Because they don't want him to do that. And it led to heartache. In fact, it led to him being separated from the people of God. Here's the fourth thing. Trust God's perfect plan. Trust that God is actually powerful enough in his providence to bring the right woman, the right man into your life. But keep in mind, Jacob just walked 450 miles to find her. Right? So don't just hang out in your mom's basement playing video games saying, I'm just going to sit here until God brings her to me. You're going to sit there a long time. Consider the difference. Man, we, we had almost the same scenario when Abraham sends his servant to go find a wife for Isaac, his son. He comes to the same region, possibly to the same well, Back in Genesis chapter 24, and he discovers Rebekah, which is Jacob's mother. Here was his response, Genesis 24, verses 26 and 27. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. 
He finds her, and it leads him to worship. How does Jacob respond in the exact same situation? Does he bow his head and worship? Well, they're, they're at this well. We have an, an artist's image of what the well could possibly look like here. It's something of, of an enclosure with a large stone that was put on top of it. We're told here at the beginning of this passage, it was a large stone. In fact, uh, it's said in before and the shepherds reinforce it. We wait till everybody gets here and then sort of together we move this stone out of the way. But Jacob, rather than bowing his head to worship, looks at Rachel with a wink. I actually have a friend I went to Bible college with who... Uh, his first encounter with his wife was he saw her across a crowded room and he walked by her and winked at her. That was the beginning. That's sort of the same type thing that Jacob does to Rachel here. With a wink, he announces, you've just got one free ticket to the gun show. Rips his shirt off and by himself rolls the stone off of the well. It, it tells us on purpose this stone is large. In fact, the Hebrew word just means vast. This is a big, heavy stone. Martin Luther, in his commentary on this passage of Scripture, says the Holy Spirit rushed upon the patriarch and his strength resulted by the impulse of the Holy Spirit. And I would say... Yeah, probably. There's also a lot of boy meets girl in this. But, but let's complicate boy meets girl. How old is Jacob when he rips his shirt off? Yeah, we don't know he ripped his shirt off. I just hope he did. It makes it better. How old was Jacob when he removes this stone from the well? He's 77 years old. <laughs> I love hearing people go, What? 77, uh, Matthew Henry, in his classic commentary on the scripture, uh, contrasts Jacob's advanced age with Rachel, who Matthew Henry describes as barely marriageable. She's really young, and he's 77. Now, let's pull back from that a little bit. 77 sounds really old, and yet he's going to live, let me get this right here, he's going to live to be 148 years old. Uh, that basically means he's middle-aged. So uh, nowadays, people gen generally live somewhere into their 80s, so he's 40-something. It's still strange, but it's not, it's not that bizarre. He kisses her, and he weeps aloud. He lifts up his voice in such overwhelming thankfulness to God that God has led him to the right place. Again, not a romantic kiss, but a, a kiss of affection and familiarity. He is overjoyed, saying, I can't believe I found you. Verse 12, and Jacob told Rachel that he was his father's kinsman, that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him. There it is. It's a family greeting. And brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all of these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone, you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him month. If the story ended here, this sounds fairly storybook-like. This chosen one, Jacob, this chosen son, has traveled a long distance and he found the right place and the right girl and the right father-in-law. It's interesting that we're told he stayed a month. Has anybody ever heard the, the phrase, uh, the honeymoon period before? That period of time where you go, this is wonderful, 
There's, there's no flaws. There's no imperfections. Everything is great. It's interesting that that word honeymoon actually came uh, from a Celtic tradition. We found this out when we lived in Scotland for a year, where in the first month of marriage, the parents would honor the new bride and the new groom by giving them, and I don't know how much this was, a one-month supply of mead, which was a wine made from honey. And it was a one-month, one-moon supply of honey, a honey moon. All the pieces came together there. Everything's perfect. This is a a blissful time. There's no negatives. There's no drawbacks. This looks like the sun should be setting behind them. Roll the ending credits. This perfect family. Except that's not real life. That's not real people that you and I know. And it's certainly not the type of raw honesty that we have come to expect from the book of Genesis. So keep reading. Verse 15, then Laban said to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Interesting and difficult phrase here. Leah's eyes were weak, but, but is the word you should really latch onto here. It's a a contrasting word we find in the text that says the second thing is not like the first thing. Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Uh, Her eyes were weak. It's a a difficult and confusing uh, section to translate. In fact, we can only do it by inference and by context, especially since English is not anything like Hebrew. Hebrew is a very pictorial language. It's a very image-heavy, image-driven language. So by saying her eyes are weak, the, the word weak there could also be translated as soft or delicate. It could be saying that she had really beautiful eyes. But there's a contrasting word in there. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So it could be saying that I I think a good modern translation of her eyes were weak. She wasn't much to look at. It may have been saying that she had beautiful eyes or it may not have been saying she had beautiful eyes. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, don't read too much into this, all right, Americans? You think like, like Hebrews, not like 21st century Americans. But Leah's name, actually, and we have a slide for this, actually means wild cow. Rachel's name, the beautiful one, means lovely you, lamb. Just sort of the big, you know, precious moments eyes going on. Now, here's why we can't think about it in our modern way of thinking. Like, who names their daughter cow? Seriously. Except in that time, wealth was measured by uh, the amount of livestock that you had. So this could have been strength. This could have been riches. It's just bad luck, I think, to get named wild. Guys, don't name your kids wild cow. Please, if you can... Avoid it. Here's this, the strange thing. Normally, we wouldn't even mention this, except the, the text intentionally contrasts Leah and Rachel. It doesn't really give us details about Leah, but it says Rachel was beautiful. Uh, the word for uh, form there actually means the shape of her body was beautiful and appearance speaking of her face. And for Jacob, it was love at first sight. Look at verse 18. Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. 
Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served him seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her. Man, doesn't that just sound like romantic love? Seven years was like a few days because of my great love for you. There's a couple different traditions that we find throughout history and throughout culture of what it looks like to gain a wife or to, uh, as a family, give a wife to a young suitor. One of them, and you're familiar with it, is the idea of a dowry, where you have a, a husband who's going to be receiving your daughter, and so uh, you give to the husband uh, some amount of riches, some amount of wealth for, the, for him taking care of your daughter. <laughs> it's basically paying someone to take your daughter off your hands. Sounds like a, a kind of a strange deal here. That's not, that's not the tradition here. The tradition here isn't dowry, it's bride price. Okay, it's two different things. Here with the bride price, the money and the goods go to the family, not to the husband. So the family gets the goods, depending on how desirable the young lady is. So you remember in Genesis chapter 24, Abraham sends uh, his servant to go and find a, daughter, a wife for Isaac, and he finds Rebekah, and the servant gives the family all of these riches, uh, jewelry and gold and jewels and all these things, gives them to the young lady, but also gives them to Laban, who's in this story as well, to the brother and to the mother as well. The family is receiving the bride price, only Jacob has come with nothing to give. Now, he's come under the pretense of finding himself a wife, but come on, let's be honest about what's happening in this story. His brother Esau was going to kill him. He has fled for his very life, and he has fled penniless. He doesn't have anything to offer to Laban for his daughter. And so he says, my bride price is I will work seven years for you. We had an interesting thing when a young suitor came and was seeking the hand of our daughter in marriage, one young Josiah, and he uh, asked about marrying our daughter Miriam, and there was some, some ideas of him possibly going into the military. And uh, as with all of those sort of relational things, there, there's a spiritual maturity. There is a relational maturity that we want to see grow up in these young men. In fact, I think we have a slide for this one. Oh, yeah. And so Josiah says, may I ask your daughter to marry me? And we said, no. Many, many times. <laughs> Here's what we did say. Because we want to see that maturity, we want to see uh, those character things, not only built in you, but beginning to bear fruit within you. We said, if you go, you can leave it up, you can leave it up. If you go to the Marine Corps and you stick with it all the way through boot camp, come back, we'll have this conversation again. Uh, go back to that last slide, because there, there's something I want you to see. Uh, that, the big one is them, that's their first... Uh, well, it wasn't their first meeting. The, the top left-hand corner is the first time they got to embrace, and he embraced her, and he kissed her. That, that was a little different than we just read here in Genesis. Uh, but behind them, like, and I, you probably can't see it, but right behind Miriam's head is a dude with the hat on. That's the drill instructor. And when we arrived in San Diego for the graduation, he walks into the room and he goes, okay, which one's Miriam? <laughs> Miriam's like, 
This is me. He says, all I've heard for, was it 13 weeks? Is that how long boot camp is? All I've heard for the last 13 weeks is, I can't quit, sir. I have to have Miriam. And if I quit, I can't have Miriam. And if you'd quit, we wouldn't have Ollie. So well done. By the way, we are incredibly blessed uh, with the young men God has brought to our daughters and to our family. Cody and Josiah are just a huge blessing to see them uh, not only loving our daughters and their families, but leading them in the ways of the Lord. It, It is a huge blessing. But we see this same principle in Jacob who says, I will work seven years because I have to have Rachel. Right, lock that idea in your mind. For seven years, not 13 weeks, seven years, all he has said is, I have to have Rachel, I have to have Rachel, I have to have Rachel. Verse 21, then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. Now notice with me, friends, Laban doesn't answer him. He doesn't, he doesn't give some sort of verbal response. We're just told what his actions are. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? When we first mentioned this a few weeks ago, uh, we were having a conversation and somebody standing in this congregation said, how is that possible? How is it possible that he marries her? How is it possible that he consummates that marriage and still doesn't know which daughter that he has. K.A. Matthews in his commentary on Genesis says this, Laban takes advantage of the traditional wedding festival. Since the feast, the, the Hebrew mitzvah, involved drinking wine, so verse 22, uh, that's implied in the feast. The betrothal period probably also required the wearing of a veil even to the wedding night itself, and that veil had to cover her hair and her eyes and the tops of her cheeks, that he couldn't see anything except her lips. Jacob is deceived. There's an echo of Jacob's own deception as he conned his brother out of his birthright. As he, it, you can't even say he conned him out of it in the second one. It was an outright deception in dressing up like Esau that he might steal his, birth, his blessing. And now both of those ring home to him. This stunned moment of how could this be? Jacob is given a taste of his own medicine, except the problem here, friends, is it's too late. He's consummated this marriage. Laban gives a really weak, half-hearted excuse, but rather than making an excuse, it actually just reveals his greedy motivation. Look at verse 26. Laban said, It's not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week. By the way, the week was this, this festival wedding week. Complete the week with this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me for seven more years. What was Laban's motivation? Seven more years of free labor out of this guy. Plus, all of the blessings we're going to find next week that God is pouring out upon Laban and his household because of Jacob. He doesn't want to lose him. So Jacob says, verse 28, 
Okay. He did so. He completed the week. I, I love that uh, Laban's description is you can't dump her in the middle of the wedding. <laughs> you can't dump her right in the middle of the honeymoon. And Jacob doesn't. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. And Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, heartbreaking words here, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. The first outcome that we see of romantic love in the scripture is hurt and favoritism. And he served Laban for another seven years. Again, the romantic love. Jacob loved her from the moment that he saw her. He worked seven years to get her. And now he's saying, I'm willing to stay married to her older sister in a surprised, arranged marriage. He had no idea this was coming, but I'm willing to stay with her as long as I can just have her. I thought this was an interesting glimpse into arranged marriages. Uh, Future Scopes said arranged marriage statistics count more than 26 million unions worldwide every year. 26 million people get married through arranged marriages this year. In fact, it's 53.25% of all marriages. More people in 2023 are going to get married through arranged marriages than through romantic marriages. More than half. But here's the predominant message in America. And the Bible doesn't say do it this way or do it that way. Uh, One of the things we find in biblical narratives, it says this is the way it happened. It's descriptive, describing what happened, not prescriptive, saying, therefore, you must do this. Right. If you're a dad and you have two daughters, don't switch them on the wedding night. Don't do it. It's descriptive, not prescriptive. You're with me. Good. The predominant American thought is follow your heart above all else. Follow your heart if it destroys your family. Follow your heart. Follow your heart if it destroys your faith. Follow your heart. Follow your heart if it destroys friendships. Follow your heart above all else. Only the rest of this passage is about the absolute heartache that that can cause. And yet, I want to just put this parenthesis in before we finish this up. Friends, if you have seen that heartache, if you've seen the devastation in your life and in your family Do not lose heart. God is still in it. God is at work in this situation. God is at work in your situation. And yet we find those heartbreaking words. Man, we read right past them. What does it feel like every day to be Leah and know that he loved Rachel more than Leah? We're going to get a glimpse of that in her heart and her mind as we go on here. Verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated... He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah begins to have children, but Rachel is barren. Albert Moeller, in commenting on this, said, We tend to read into the words of the Hebrew Old Testament emotion that's not necessarily there. So when it says Leah was hated, there's not necessarily the emotion of hate behind that. We ought not to assume a negative emotion towards her, but a completely different disposition towards her. This one I've loved. This one, it's something completely different. Yet Muller finishes by saying, and yet consider that it's through Leah's offspring that we see all of the central figures of God's covenant people. Levi is going to come from her, who is, from him are going to come all of the priests, all the mediators of the old covenant. 
Judah is going to come from her in the line of the kings. In fact, Christ the king would come from the line of Judah. We do not know why God in his providence led Jacob towards Rachel and not Leah. We just know that happened. But look at the mercy that God gives to Leah. Look at verse 32. And Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben. Oh, this is heartbreaking. For she said, because the Lord has looked, that's what the Reuben means, to look. Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. Oh, that is tragic. And she conceived again and bore a son. Time is going by. We read those verses back to back. It takes nine months of gestation for a child to be born. And then raised and then weaned and then have the opportunity to get pregnant again. Years have gone by. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard, that's what Simeon's going to mean, heard, that I am hated, he has given me this son also, and she named him Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi, which means attached. Can you hear the heartache and desperation in her? She's a real woman in this story. Verse 35, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. That's what Judah means, to praise. Therefore she called his name Judah, and then she ceased bearing. This is a heartbreaking glimpse into the heart and mind of a real young lady. The primary job of a woman in that time was to find a husband and then to bear that husband sons. And yet with every son that she bears, she seemed to sink deeper and deeper into this desperation for her husband to love her the way he loves her sister. And it just doesn't happen. Uh, Again, I would encourage you, we, we do this periodically, if you don't have a study Bible, you should get one. One with the notes that can help uh, draw out some of the meanings of these names. Looking at the, the names of these 12 sons of Israel's 12 sons of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. It is a heartbreaking affair. And this chapter would be glorious if we could just put a big period at the end of it and stopped here. In fact, I've preached that sermon before. Her first three sons are desperation. If only my husband would love me. If only my husband would love me. If only my husband would love me. And then comes Judah and she gets it right and says, Nope, this time I'm going to praise the Lord. Which is why we're not going to stop here. In fact, I'll just tell you right now, we're going to go over time this morning. So if you want to jump up and run out, only half of us are going to think you're unspiritual. But we will think it 100%. Here's why we can't stop here. Genesis 30, verses 19 and 20, tell us of Leah giving birth to Zebulun, where she says the same thing over again, only it's years later. She hasn't figured it out. She is still lost and longing for her husband to love her. We're going to move through this really quickly here. When Verse 1 in chapter 30, when Rachel saw that she had borne Jacob no children. She's the beautiful one. She's the privileged one. She envied her sister. and She said to Jacob, Give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? His 
answer in essence is this. Clearly the problem is not with me. I don't have any problem getting your sister pregnant. By God's grace, may none of you ever say that. That would be terrible. It just tells you how messed up this situation is. And yet the shine of this Disney love romance is completely off. There's no happy ever after here. This is just how desperate Rachel is. In fact, we're going to see it gets even worse from here. Verse 3, then he said, here's, she says, here's my servant Bilhah. Go into her that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So Rachel, she gave her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me. She, it's her son because she's naming the child God has judged me. He's also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore, she calls his name Dan, even though it's born to the servant girl. Then Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said, with mighty rest, how messed up is this? With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. And she named him Naphtali. This is not a healthy marriage situation. Although it would do really good on a reality show, I think. Verse 9, when Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she does the same thing. She took her servant, her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. And so she named him Gad. Literally, it's as if she watched Napoleon Dynamite and went, Bucky. That's the name of this child. Uh, never mind, it was a long time ago. <laughs> Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son, and Leah said, Happy am I, for women have called me happy, and so she names him Asher. Her happiness was defined by what's happening around her, not in the sovereign God who was overseeing this moment. It makes you wonder, have these people learned nothing from history? Jacob at least should remember the story of his grandparents, of Sarai giving Hagar, the maidservant, to Abram, his grandfather how that produced Ishmael and all of the mess that came after that. And yet in God's providence, this messy, blended family that is going to yield 12 sons from Leah and Rachel and two servant girls. Remember in the story of Ishmael, they said, nope, he is out of the covenant. It is Isaac and no one else. In this mess, God takes all 12 sons and says, these are the 12 tribes of Israel. Friends, listen, that means there's hope for your family. The mess that you have found yourself in, God has the power to redeem. Up to this point, there's only eight boys who've been born. And then it gets even stranger. You can just make a little mark there. We're going to pick that up next week in verse 14. But I want us to consider in closing... How is it that Jacob has found himself in this position? How is it that Leah and Rachel have found themselves in this position? It's by trusting in the things around them to bring them happiness, even as they named a child happiness. It's by trusting in the love and the attention and the affection of someone else. This will give my life meaning and identity. And I promise you, if you look to another person, it will leave you brokenhearted. It will leave you disappointed. 
And yet, what do we find in all of this? We find the sovereign God of the universe watching over every step. Friends, I don't understand this, but it was God who brought Rachel to Jacob. It was God who had made Rachel as she was. It was God who had made Leah as she was. And we're told later in Scripture that these things happened, these things were written that we might be taught by them. They were written for us. Whether you find yourself in the place of Jacob or Leah or Rachel, friends, I would say stop looking to other things and other people to give you happiness and satisfaction and look to the sovereign God of the universe. Christian, the charge to you from this is keep lifting up your feet. Keep walking. Keep trusting the sovereign God. To the weary Christian, it's to lift up your eyes and see the King of glory who has to this time and from this time been directing your steps. Fallen Christian, lift up your head and see the Savior who refuses to let you go. Return and repent. And non-Christian who doesn't believe in God, see the God who has watched over your every step in this life leading you to look to him, showing you the desperate need that you have in your heart and your life for a true Savior. Trust in him. Not just in a one-time moment. Trust in him and then walk with him by walking alongside other brothers and sisters. Oh, friends, that's what all of us need. We need to see again the power of a sovereign Savior. We need to trust in him and walk with him. Just encourage you, you'll find this in your bulletin as you spend some time in family worship this afternoon or this evening. Read back through all of chapter 29 and chapter, tw- and chapter 30. Only read it through the lens. How would it have felt for Jacob? If you put yourself in that lens of seeing it through Jacob, how would it feel to work all of those years and be tricked into marrying the wrong person? Read it through the lens of thinking, what did it feel like to be Leah, used and manipulated by her very own father to be that which tricks Jacob into marrying her? How did that have to feel for Leah? Think of the discouragement, the hopelessness that gets attached with that. And then ask yourselves, how can we be helpful to those around us who are discouraged? Man, what are some of the the telltale signs that we can see in people? Whether it's attitude or words or body language that tells us they're discouraged because most of the time you walk here on a Sunday morning and you're thinking about yourself. What happened to get you here? What's going to happen in the midst of the service? What you're going to be doing afterwards? Very rarely are we focused on other people. Man, what are are they going through? What is she feeling? What's even just the the downcast eyes, the lowered head, that body language, what is it telling me about that discouragement and how can we be encouragers one to another? And then pray together and ask that God would help us to trust him in the areas of your life where it's hard for you right now. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what your family is going through right now. But each story in this room is different. Each of you have difficulties that you're walking through. 
where you need to be reminded the sovereign God has led you thus far and he has promised you I'm not leaving you. Oh, that we would have eyes to see that. Worship team, if you would come. As they come, if you'd grab your bulletin, let's look together. Before we come to the table of the Lord, the Apostles' Creed. This is something that we do every week. Uh, For one month, we do the Apostles' Creed. The next month, we do the Nicene Creed. Why do we do that? Is it because we want to be more traditional here? The answer is no. It's because we forget. We forget, and then we show up to church because this is what church looks like nowadays. It's about who has the best show in town. How good is the preaching? How good is the singing? How much did I feel entertained? How much was my heart moved by it? Now, friends, our hearts and emotions should be moved by the truth of the gospel. That's how God has made it, and that's how God has revealed it to us. But we dare not anchor the truth of our walk with God in how I feel in any given day. Come on, friends. That changes day to day. It is in the unchanging, finished work of Christ on your behalf. Where we say, I don't, I don't understand what's going on. I, I can't see how this whole weird, messed up picture, just like in this story, fits together in my life or the life of those around me that I love. But here's what I know. There's a sovereign God on the throne, and he hasn't moved one time, nor will he ever. Let's stand together and confess this is our hope. This is our God. And then as the worship team leads us, would you come take the elements as a believer, take them back to your seat, and let's eat and drink in faith together. But let's confess, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of this body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Thanks for joining our podcast. We pray that God would bless you and strengthen you through his word. If you'd like to find out more about EWC or give tithes and offerings in support of this ministry, visit our website at edenworshipcenter.co.